Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 57 of UAB Green and Told, original air date Monday, October 25th, 2021. Through this podcast, we are able to share stories from members of the UAB community. You can listen back to all of our episodes at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify and with the Apple Podcast app. While there, be sure to leave a written review to help more alumni find the podcast. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and assistant director in the Office of Alumni Affairs. Today's guest is Dr. Johnny Bates, an MD whose practice isn't typical of a physician. Then again, as he'll share, his path to and through UAB wasn't, well, typical. Well, you got to remember back in uh, this time, there wasn't uh, a lot of opportunity unless you came from a wealthy family to go to college. And while he spent time in private practice, he'll explain why it wasn't for him. You want the honest answer? Sure. <laughs> I got bored with private practice. Today, Dr. Bates still has patients, but his practice is more prison than it is office. I know what I'm dealing with in the jail. I also have security. A lot of hospital emergency rooms don't have security. I don't, I don't I've never really felt uncomfortable in the jail, to be honest. back and reflect on your UAB story, it's likely similar to some and possibly unique to you all at the same time. For Johnny Bates, his story starts in Sipsey, Alabama, a small town between Jasper and Birmingham, a town Dr. Bates would say swelled to 500 people on the weekend when family came to visit Mama. For Johnny, he didn't necessarily spend a lot of time in Sipsey because he had his sights set on his future. I lived at the end of a dirt road about two miles long. And uh, I stayed out in the woods 90% of the time. And then when I got old enough to drive, I started taking flying lessons and learned to fly airplanes. And when, from the time I was 16, I started working in the hospital junior and senior years. I, sometimes I worked 3 to 11 at night, went to school from 8 to 3, and then worked 11 to 7 at Brookwood Hospital. Uh, And I was actually too young to be in the lobby at night. I had to lie about my age to get the job. The guy that hired me and the guy I worked for in respiratory therapy knew me uh, because I'd already been working at South Highland back in the day. Uh, And so I went to Brookwood Hospital and worked uh, in respiratory therapy. And I was actually too young to be even in the lobby at night. (laughs) Growing up, what did you want to do? I always wanted to be a doctor. When I was about 13 months old, I developed uh, tuberculous meningitis. And that was not too long after INH was discovered. So if I'd gotten it a few years earlier, I probably wouldn't have survived. Uh, but I was always fascinated by the stories that my grandparents and parents told me about the doctor that discovered what was wrong with me for for quite some time. They couldn't figure out what was going on when I got to where I couldn't walk and and so forth and so just those stories uh and what they told told me about the physician who took care of me inspired me to be a physician as a small town kid from sipsy was there a lot of support for those dreams of wanting to become a doctor well i had excellent teachers even back in that time and you know there wasn't a lot of role models uh to speak of but i got a great deal of encouragement from Uh, the faculty and my high school principal when I went to Walker High School, which doesn't exist anymore, it's now Jasper High. 
but yes, I received a lot of encouragement from my educators and had very good people who taught me over the years, including those at UAB. When it came time to look for schools to further your education, what were you looking for? And obviously you mentioned you wanted to be a doctor. What did you want to look for as you took tours of schools and you, you wanted to advance your career? Well, you got to remember back in uh, this time, there wasn't uh, a lot of opportunity uh, unless you came from a wealthy family to go to college. I mean, I was probably the second person in my family that had gone to college. So you had to seek out opportunities to do that. So, you know, unlike most kids probably today, I had to, to look out for the investment part of it in terms of the, the cost of the education thing that I was interested in was their reputation in terms of getting you into medical school. The school's reputation uh, has a great deal to do on how the medical admissions committee looks at you. An A at one place versus an A somewhere else might be actually looked at a little bit differently. So I looked at it from that standpoint. When it came to UAB, what was it that drew you in? Obviously, it was close. Obviously, it was in-state, so it was going to be a little bit cheaper than going out of state. But what was it that, that drew you here? Let me, let me tell you how this all transpired. I graduated from high school. Uh, I first went to Birmingham Southern. You know, I was young and dumb. I was a pledge, and if anybody's been a pledge before, they know what that entails. Uh, uh, I didn't study. I made two C's and a B that semester, and uh, I knew that wasn't going to get me in medical school. Uh, I also had run out of money, so I had to continue to work. So I went back to Walker College in Jasper and got a associate degree from there uh, and worked full-time there, made really good grades and ended up getting a scholarship to UAB and one back to Birmingham Southern. I took the one to UAB because it pretty much paid for everything and left me with a little money at the end of the scholarship period. And that was the best decision I ever made. Back in that time, uh, there wasn't much of a campus at UAB. There's likely four buildings. It was it was great for me because that's what I needed at the time uh, because I was working full time and campus life just didn't wouldn't have worked out for my schedule. And the way UAB was set up at the time uh, was just perfect. Um, and uh, I got a really good education there that prepared me for medical school. And then uh, because of that preparation, I was able to get in medical school. I got in both UAB and South Alabama and chose to go to UAB. So what was the end goal at this point? Obviously you wanted to be some kind of doctor. Did you kind of pigeonhole the area of expertise that you wanted to do and what was that? Well, when I came to medical school, I actually wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And then uh, I decided after a surgery rotation, I absolutely hated surgery. Uh, I didn't like being confined to the operating room for long periods of time like that, especially in the operating theater. So I uh, started looking around. I enjoyed internal medicine because I had been an, a respiratory therapist for a number of years. I had uh, worked with the veterans at the VA hospital in Tuscaloosa, and had a very good mentor there named Dr. McKee. So I chose internal medicine because of its links to uh, respiratory therapy and, and pulmonary medicine and so forth and uh, ended up doing my residency at UTMB in Galveston. 
What was the first job once you got out in the real world? All the residencies, all the undergrad, all the all the medical school behind you. What did you do? I ended up going to Fayette, Alabama. I was in private practice in Fayette for uh, three years. Uh, and then the hospital administrator from Hamilton, Alabama came and recruited me uh, up there. And so I left Fayette and went to Hamilton. I was in private practice there until I started uh, doing what I'm presently doing now. So let's talk a little bit about that, that segue from private medicine to working with prisoners. You founded Quality Correctional Healthcare. What was the thought going into that business? You want the honest answer? Sure. <laughs> I got bored with private practice. I was on the board of the hospital in North Mississippi, and they offered to send me to get a master's in medical management. So after getting that master's degree, I became more interested in taking care of populations rather than individual patients. And trust me, I love my patients, but it, it was just a different mindset and a different set of skills. And also uh, starting a business was a different challenge. And so I actually went to work for a company as their corporate medical director uh, for a period of time before I uh, started quality correctional health care. So it was a, it was a natural segue because I also had been doing during the time I was in private practice behind my office, there was an aged and infirm prison, which held about 300 aged and infirm inmates uh, from across the state, uh, people who couldn't function out in the regular prison system or who had medical needs. And so I had uh, developed an interest in that. And so all three of those things, the fact that I was basically bored with private practice, the fact that I'd gotten the master's degree and became interested in populations, and the fact that I had experience in corrections just kind of led me down that road. So I've got to ask, what did your family and friends think when you said, you know what, I'm not going to do the traditional route. I'm going to go work with prisoners. Well, my patients cried. My wife thought I was insane. And um, <laughs> and so uh, I think everyone was shocked because I, I think the, the people at the hospital thought I would be there forever. And my patients, were, I think, were kind of surprised as well. Uh, my wife was all very, very supportive. Uh, as a matter of fact, she's helped me with the company from the very beginning. So it was... Uh, it was, you know, I get the questions I get now are not why do you do it, but they want to know about the people that I see. What, what you know, what kind of people are do you see in prisons and, you know, so forth and so on. So, so that was kind of the way it went. It was, it was, it was not difficult making that transition, honestly. So when you established the company, what business model did you kind of mimic, or were there businesses to even look at to say, okay, I can apply this in my setting? What I did was tried not to emulate what I'd seen in this industry in the past. I wanted to be what the others weren't. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to be uh, and base the, the company on was that providing quality care uh, is less expensive and uh, produces better outcomes so that we weren't just about the bottom line, we were about providing the, the service 
the way it works for me is we've got two customers basically we've got the county that contracts with us and we've got the patient who's the inmate uh and i wanted to be able to do a good job for both of those not just one of them what was the first county that you partnered with with the new company Colbert County, Alabama, which is Tuscumbia, if you know where that's at, North Alabama. After getting that one kind of signed, sealed, delivered, how did you grow? Slow. Our next contract was about a year and a half later. Uh, matter of fact, I was still working in the emergency room during this time uh, because all the things that I use to sell the company now, I didn't have the data support at that time, like by demonstrating that we can provide better care. It may be more expensive upfront in terms of what your actual contract costs are, but it saves you money in terms of your offsite expenditures, legal expenses. Uh, and I couldn't prove that initially, but since over the years, that's been a much easier sale. Take me through the process of getting together with an inmate. What do you have to do to actually get in the door to look at an inmate and then go out? Because I'm sure there's security involved, there's clearances and all sorts of things. Yeah, the way it works is that uh, we're generally, as medical, we're cleared through uh, to the medical unit. And then in most instances, the inmates are brought to us. Uh, so the officer will say, we need to see so-and-so they'll go get that person and bring them to the medical unit where we'll see and evaluate them. Then the way we, we, the way we do care is we're bas basically a lock and key job. We provide the nurses, the pharmacy, all those kind of things. So the nurses will actually see the inmates and evaluate them on intake. So when the inmate comes into the jail, uh, one of the first people they're going to see is a nurse to get their medical history, find out if they're taking any medications and so forth. Is it unnerving going into the jails and, and meeting with these individuals? I actually feel more comfortable in the jail than I did in the emergency room. Really? Uh, because I know what I'm dealing with in the jail. I also have security. A lot of hospital emergency rooms don't have security. I don't, I don't, I've never really felt uncomfortable in jail, to be honest. You alluded to it before that a lot of people ask you about the people that you care for, the inmates. What are they like? You know, what kind of personalities have you had to work with and, and treat? Uh, it's really no different than the people I used to see in the ER. Not everybody that goes to jail stays in jail. Most people are out within two weeks. So the same person that's behind you in line at Walmart could have been in jail the day before. So it's really not different. Now, the, the, the only difference really is this is probably the most underserved population in the country in terms of not having any prior health care. Um, most of the ones that we see are substance abusers or have some mental health disorder. We see a lot of diseases in jails that you don't see in the general population. Uh, I see things in the jail that I never saw in, in private practice or even in the emergency room um, because they just didn't show up there. We have a lot of problems with substance abuse, like I said, and withdrawal, alcohol withdrawal. You know, 1% of the population schizophrenic, but 
they get uh, that becomes more concentrated in a jail, especially a large jail. Uh, so you'll see a lot more patients with those kind of disorders uh, than you would out in the general public. So you started the business in 2005. Let's put things in perspective. Um, how many people did you have working early on in the first couple of years with you? And how many jails were you working with? And where are you at now? Well, it was my wife and I initially. We hired one other person. We're in seven states now. We have about over 60-something contracts. And we probably have 350 employees. Uh, so it's in the last 16 years, it's, it's grown considerably. Mainly in the Southeast? Mainly in the Southeast. We're in Illinois, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Louisiana, uh, Kentucky, and Missouri. So surely the, the counties that are vetting companies like yours do a lot of research. What are they looking for and how do you sell yourself to them as a quality correctional health care provider? Well, part of the way we sell ourselves is we contract a little bit differently. Like I said early on, we do cost plus contracts, which is a little bit different than the standard in this uh, industry. Most of our sales actually come by word of mouth from one jail to another. And that's the way we've grown over the years. We don't do a whole lot of advertising. We have one sell, two salespeople. And so um, it really comes from uh, word of mouth and uh, them talking with other contracts that we have about the kind of service we provide over the years. How much traveling do you do right now to visit the pockets that you are up in Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, places like that? Uh, more than I want, but not as much as I should. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, it's hard to get around to all those sites, uh, especially uh, in Illinois and Missouri and so forth. So, you know, I, I try to get around to all of them as, as frequently as I can. Uh, but we have regional uh, nurses that um, take care of a lot of that. And so uh, I end up going uh, as often as I can. How often are you seeing patients? I see patients uh, every week. Um, I go to some jails on a weekly basis. And uh, we have the contract at Hamilton County, Tennessee, which is Chattanooga. Uh, and there for a while, I was going up there twice a week to uh, see inmates. What is the smallest jail that you work with and what's the largest jail? Smallest jail we work with is in, in Tennessee, probably Clay County, Tennessee, and they probably have 16 to 20 inmates. Uh, and then the largest one we work with is in Hamilton County, um, Tennessee, which is about 1,200 inmates. So that's a, a big difference. Do you see the same maladies, the same things between the inmates and both? Yeah, it's just uh, with greater numbers, you have a greater chance to see a different set, but pretty much it's the same common theme throughout. Uh, the people who end up in jail usually have the same bad habits of alcohol abuse or substance abuse or uh, something along that line or mental health issues that lead them down that path. Does every jail have a similar setup where they contract out for health care or is it just some that want to provide a little extra care to the inmates? How does that work? Some jails do, that on, do it on their own. 
uh, there are fewer and fewer that are do, doing that now. But that's the exception rather than the rule. They'd rather uh, contract it out because, first of all, they don't have any expertise in the healthcare arena. So uh, I would say it's probably 90 10 or 80 20 in terms of contracted out versus managed on their own. As a nerdy kid from Sipsy, Alabama, did you ever think you'd be working with inmates in this kind of setting? No, I didn't. Um, but, you know, they're, they're inmates, but I view them basically as patients. It's just patients in a different environment. You know, it's not any different than being a nursing home director or a hospice director or something along that line, because they're still, to me, they're still just patients. They just happen to be in a different setting than they otherwise would be. Where do you see QCHC going in the future? It's not all about uh, growth. It's about being the best we can be, which is what I'm interested in more than than the growth. My goal has always been to be recognized as one of the quality leaders in the industry, not necessarily the biggest uh, biggest company. How many companies are there? Because there has to be a lot throughout the nation. There's, uh, well, there's not as many as you would think. There's Wellpath, which is the largest company. It's a billion dollar company, which is the, the largest one. And then there's in our size area, there's probably three or four that I know of in our region. Uh, and then between uh, what I would say, the small to mid-sized companies and the well pass, there's probably two or three. Looking back over your career, the foundation that was set here at UAB, how did this university help you in your career? Uh, well, several ways. Uh, one is they educated me, and I had great, great opportunities and great educators uh, like Tom Dowiak, who has a crater named after him. I mean, you don't get to meet people like that every day. An excellent guy. Uh, and I had I had great educators. I don't remember the gentleman's name that taught cell biology. But that was one of the best courses that I had and was even better than most of the courses I had in medical school. I mean, he was just an excellent teacher and just an excellent course. So they prepared me for that, for the MCAT exam and just the, uh, just the atmosphere and the work ethic that, at UAB, because most people came there to work. I mean, that, it wasn't, there wasn't a campus life. There wasn't a, base, a basketball team. There wasn't a football team like there is today. I wish there had been, but there wasn't. Uh, so everybody, you know, it was kind of known as a commuter college. Uh, everybody came there to work. And so everyone was serious. Uh, and so uh, I think that work ethic continued. And then, of course, the people from UAB wrote letters of recommendation for me uh, and uh, I'm sure helped me get into to the, to medical school. So uh, it was a great overall experience. You make it back to Birmingham all the time. How impressed are you with the growth of the campus? It's phenomenal. I don't recognize anything anymore. I'm not everything that I, everything that was there when I was there is gone. There's not going to be anything left of the UAB I went to, which is fine. It, but uh, it's it's really impressive, and the football team that's been uh, good for the city and good for the, the school. And so I, I don't see anything but great accomplishments at UAB.
That's Dr. Johnny Bates. Dr. Bates received his Bachelor of Science degree in mathematics from the College of Arts and Sciences in 1978 and earned his MD from the Hearsing School of Medicine in 1983. Today, he serves as president and CEO of Quality Correctional Healthcare, or QCHC. As we've heard, Dr. Bates's UAB story is unique, which gives him a deep appreciation for UAB and his own understanding of what it means to be a blazer. I've become a blazer over the years by being involved, A, in the, in the, in the football games, the basketball games, and, and going to events. Uh, being involved in NAS and the uh, College of Arts and Sciences and so forth. Just being involved has brought me to being a blazer. Be sure to listen in to previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. You can find all of them at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold or on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. Have a story to share? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!